waiting for when the birds come out, and they would chase the birds, and they would catch them. But this team would always have to wait until the birds had been roused. And so they would be there, very bored, very frustrated, and they said, come on, stop beating around the bush. We need to cut to the chase. So there you go. If you get nothing else today, I don't know about you, but things like that make me feel complete. I feel, I feel happy just that I know stuff like that. Nothing to do with anything we're going to say, but good to know that kind of stuff. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, um, I'm going to be reading from verses 7 to 9. Uh, it'll be from the New Living Translation. If you've got it, a Bible, keep your finger in here. We're going to be coming back to this again and again today, so hold on to this little passage here. This is what it says. 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 9. It says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This morning, I want to talk with you about godliness, living godly. It's something that comes up again and again in the scriptures. Perhaps you've seen it. It's talk, passages about godly living, living godly lives. Perhaps you've met somebody and you've got to know them and you come away from being with that person and say, that person is a godly person. If you love Jesus and you're chasing after God, you've probably said, God, I want to live a godly life. Maybe that's something you've prayed. See, when we come to Christ and we're saved, we, we want to go on, we want to press on, we want to grow in maturity, we want to live for God, we want to live godly lives. This morning I want to look at godliness with you. We're going to look at what godliness is, how do we live godly, and why we should live godly lives. Let's start out. What is godliness? What is godliness? You know, about a month ago in my fellowship group, we had a few people there, and I thought, I'll just bring something up on godliness tonight. So I kind of tried to give a broad picture of what it was to live a godly life. I laid a few ideas down, shared some stuff, and it was good. We had a good time. And so I was coming into this week thinking, well, what am I going to preach on Sunday? And the idea dropped into my mind, oh, godliness. And I thought, oh, that's good. So I've done something on godliness about a month ago. It's going to be okay. I'll just use the stuff that I had then. Some people had some really good stuff to say, so I'll just steal their ideas, put that into my sermon, because that's what you do. But there was a problem. I looked up the meaning of the word godliness. And it didn't mean what I thought it meant. It's a problem, because I'm going to preach on it, and now I've only got three days to find something, because I thought I knew what godliness was. But I didn't know. Before I tell you what godliness is, I need to tell you what I thought it was. And I know that you guys are really, really humble, lovely people, and so what I want you to do is, if you thought any of these things were godliness, I just want you to say, yep, whenever I say what I thought it was, because it just makes me feel better that I'm not on my own in this, okay? Let me tell you what I thought godliness meant. 
Did any of you think godliness had to do with holiness? Oh, thank you. I was waiting there. I was thinking, you guys are keeping me hanging. I did. And then I read this, 2 Peter 3.11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to, leave, sorry, you ought to live holy and godly lives. They're two separate things. Did you think it had to do with contentment? So whatever comes at you in life, no, no matter what circumstances you face, you're just able to get on all right. You're able to go with plenty. You're able to go with lack. Did any of you think that contentment had to do with godliness? Yeah. I did. And then I read 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Yeah. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. They're two separate things. Surely... It has to do with loving each other, right? Surely it has to do with loving the body of Christ. Surely it has to do with loving you wonderful people. Did you think that? Yes. So did I. And then I read 2 Peter 1.7. Had godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. They're separate things. Then I nailed it. I knew what godliness was. I knew without a question of a doubt what godliness had to be. It had to be all about good works. It had to be about good fruit, about producing the Christian life. Did anyone here think that that was to do with godliness? You guys are stupid. I didn't think that. No, I'm joking. I did think that. I did think that. And I thought, yep, that's it. That's got to be what it is. And then I read 1 Timothy 2.10. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works? You say that's addressed to women. That's not the point. Godliness and good works, they're two separate things. I had a problem. And it could be the very same problem that you guys have right now sitting in front of me, and that is that you don't have a clue what godliness is. Thank you. <laughs> First answers only, Steph. So, yes. Okay. Before we look at it, what it is, we have to deal with this huge, huge problem here. See, all those examples I gave, we've got godliness with contentment, right? Godliness with love. Godliness with good works. All of them are connected. All of them are connected. But what comes first? Godliness. Have you noticed the forerunner? You know, it's, it's this picture of them being attached, almost inseparable, but they are separate. The best way I can think about it is like a train. You have the engine, but it's coupled to a carriage. And they move together, they go forward together, but one leads the way. One drives the thing forward. And that is what godliness is. I gave you that passage in 1 Timothy, train for a godly life, live a godly life. If you look a few verses later, look what it says in 1 Timothy 4.12. It says this, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and your purity. I don't know about you guys, but that's what I thought godliness was. That's what I told the fellowship group. I mean, I completely got it wrong. I thought that's what godliness was. These things follow on from 1 Timothy 4.7. It's godliness with 
love. It's godliness with purity. It's godliness with faith. They're, they're connected. But the driving force, the thing that pushes it forward, is godliness. The point is, if we live godly, we have contentment. That comes with us. We have good works. It comes with us. We have brotherly affection, love, purity, faith. It all comes with us if we have godliness. The problem is that we might have been looking at the fruit or the byproduct or the result of godliness and thought that that was godliness itself. Can I tell you that if we have done that, we'd have got ourselves in all kinds of problems. In fact, we might have got ourselves into some bondage, some spiritual bondage. You look at passages like that in 1 Timothy 4.12. Be an example in the way you live, right? Be an example in your purity. That's what he says to him. Be an example. And then what we do is, if you take that and you, and, and you take that literally, what you're going to start to do is look at how well you are living, Look at how well you are loving. Look at how much faith you have. Look at how pure your life is. Here lies the problem. You can always live a little bit better. You can always love a little bit more. You could always have more faith. You could always live a purer life. You could read your Bible more. You could pray more. You know, I don't know if you've heard of Andrew Womack, he's an American preacher, but he got into a lot of bondage over watching the way he was living. And one day he got up and he read his Bible from morning to night, 14 hours straight, he read his Bible. But he was awake, he was awake for 16 hours, read his Bible for 14 hours, took a break for lunch, felt really good that he read so much of the Word of God laid down in bed, and the moment he laid down in bed, a voice comes into his head and said, you wasted an hour. He went from feeling overjoyed at what he was able to do to completely condemned. Completely condemned that he wasted an hour. You might have heard of the Puritans. In the 17th century, the Puritans, they were a group that come out of the church and they were all about living a clean, holy, pure life. There was a lot of sin, a lot of stuff going on and they wanted to separate themselves by the way they lived. They wanted to live pure. I mean, that's why the name Puritan. Do you know that they've done a lot of good stuff, let me say that, but a lot of them lived condemned lives. In fact, the Puritans would never say you were sure of salvation. Do you know why? Because they would always see their impurity. Always they would see their impurity. Do you see the problem? In 1 John, um, he's talking to the church and saying that you've got to love one another. He says about fellowship with God, loving one another. But he knows what happens. He knows what we'll do. He'll, he knows that we're going to look at how well we're loving. And so he jumps in and he says this in 1 John 3.20. He says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. John's, John is saying, I know that if you, I want you to love and we've got to really love. But if you start looking at the way you love, the chances are you're going to start feeling condemned. Because you're going to look and think, you know what, I'm not quite matching up to the standard. He was saying, love and be true in your love to other people, but don't gauge it. Don't gauge it. How well you're doing, because you will always end up feeling condemned. 
you know, condemnation comes a couple of ways, right? One is from the enemy, but I think secondly, it's always from ourselves. And the way it comes is when we're looking at what we are doing and thinking we're not quite nailing it. Have we been looking at the fruit of godliness instead of godliness itself? We may be coming up to around about halfway through the message and I still haven't told you what godliness actually is. So you're probably wondering, well, I want to know what it is. Because once I know what it is, this might all start to fall into the place. Now I know I'm building it up to something. So I'm going to just tell you what godliness means. Godliness simply means to be devoted. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Did you know that? Is that it? Yeah. It's about being devoted. To be godly is to be devoted. The question we need to now ask is, well, what are we devoted to? You know, you've heard that term, and it's probably quite a broad term, devotion. Maybe someone has devoted a song to somebody, and it's very mushy, very sentimental, very gushy towards another person. It can be something we are passionate about. I went to the Perryvale Craft Fair because my wife made me. And when we were there, when we were there, I met a guy. And this guy, I mean, he loved bees. Loved bees. Uh, like, like, I've never seen. I mean, if we loved Jesus as much as he loved bees, this place would be crazy. Crazy. You know, a jar, I need to tell you this, a jar of honey this big, 45,000 bee miles. See, that's two today. You've got beating around the bush and bee miles now. You hear about people who are devoted to a cause, right? Freedom of a nation, anti-nuclear weapons, whatever it is, people are devoted to things. The meaning of devotion is this. Love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person or activity. We, as Christians are not to be devoted to something sentimental. We're not to be devoted to a hobby. We are not to be devoted to a cause. You might have even heard of the term, the cause of Christ. We're not devoted to the cause of Christ. Let me tell you what I read. Jesus isn't a cause. He is a real and living person who can be known, loved, experienced, enthroned, and embodied. Focusing on his cause or mission doesn't equate with focusing on or following him. It's all too possible to serve the God, little g, of serving Jesus, as opposed to serving him out of an enraptured heart that's been captivated by his irresistible beauty and unfathomable love. Whoa, isn't that amazing? Praise God. We are not devoted to a cause. We are devoted to a person. You know, we can even do that with the Christian life. We can, we can take certain things and make them events in themselves. Let me give you an example. We talk about the cross. We talk about death, burial, resurrection. We talk about eternal life. We talk about grace. We talk about truth. But this is the deal. It's the cross of Christ. It's the death 
of Christ. It's the burial of Christ. He is the resurrection. He is eternal life. He is grace. He is truth. It's all about a person. It's not about events. Godly living is devoting ourselves to a person. Godly living is devoting ourselves to Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's what it is to be godly. If that's what it is to be godly, the next question we need to ask is, well, how do I live godly? How do I live a devoted life to Jesus Christ? What does that look like? I was trying to think of someone who modelled godliness. Trying to think of someone who showed us what it would be like to live a godly life. And I found the person. Mary, the mother of Jesus. We can do a couple of things with Mary, can't we? We can say, uh, some people worship her, we've got to part Mary over here. Or we can relegate her down here to the Christmas story. She is a saint like me and you are saints. And we honour people and their stories and their lives. And when they do for good things for God and when they submit to him, and Mary did that, and from her life, we can take some gold about how to live godly lives. Guys, I need to tell you that when we're coming into this, I'm going to be talking a lot about a pregnant woman, and it all applies to you. Um, but that's okay, because you're the bride of Christ, so you, this stuff is going to come up again and again and again, so go with it. So I've just taken a few things from the life of Mary that shows us how we live godly lives. This is what it says in Luke 1, 35. The angel replied, so Mary was a virgin, you know this story. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Verse 37 and 38 says, nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Listen to this. This is what God says to Mary. He says, I want to come upon you by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to put my son Jesus Christ inside of you. I want him to grow in you so that he is seen through your life. Is that what he said to Mary? Because that's what he says to us. Isn't that what God wants to do in our lives? Doesn't he want to take up that residence and to grow in our lives and to be seen in our lives? Isn't that what God wants? I love Mary's response. Yes. Yes. Let it be. Whatever you want, Jesus, the answer is yes. First thing we do to live godly lives, simply this, you give yourself to God. You just say yes. We give ourselves to him and he will fill us with his life. That's Romans 12, right? Offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. That is devotion. That is godliness. 
Do we do that? Or do we revert to trying to produce the fruit of godliness ourselves? Maybe we've tried a, a WWJD Christianity. A what would Jesus do Christianity? Listen, I'm not knocking that. What I'm saying is it makes Jesus external to you. You have to sit there and think, well, what would Jesus do? But in fact, he's not out there anymore. He's implanted in you and he's imparted through you. No longer external. Jesus is not external. Don't see him out there anymore. That's not where he is. For for me, that's powerless Christianity. You know, Paul says, I don't trust in my own goodness. I trust Christ to save me. And he's not talking about salvation in regards to where he's going for eternity. He's talking about saving him now. Christ coming through in him now. He's not trusting in his own goodness. Jesus in him, Jesus through him, produces the life of Christ. Paul says it to the Galatians. You start in the spirit, you carry on in the flesh. That's like, do you know what that's saying? That's saying, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thanks for starting me off, pointing me in the right right direction. I've got this now. That's what that is. He says to the Colossians, as you received him, so walk in him. You give yourself to him, he produces the life in you. That's how it works. See, if we try and produce it on ourselves, it's artificial love. At very best, it's limited. Do you remember when uh, Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? We know the word that he used was agape love, right? Agape means unconditional love. Every response that Peter gave was filio love. It's like, I love you, I love you, I love you. Do you know what filio love is? It's a, it's a fondness, a friendship kind of love. See, at best, all we can offer is a fondness out of ourselves. That's the only kind of love we can give away. But if Jesus Christ is living in us, what kind of love will flow through us? His love. What kind of love does he have? Agape love. Not limited love. We can't just live godly lives. That first passage we looked at said you've got to train in godliness. I think I've told you a a couple of gym stories. Um, I've had some terrible experiences at the gym. I've got gymophobia. Um, It's okay. Do you know there's such thing as jellyphobia? We found that out over the weekend. Jellyphobia, banana phobia. If you want to have a phobia of anything, just put it on Wikipedia and you can have it. Okay? But I had a pho- I mean, gyms don't work for me. I hadn't gone for a long time, and I went back. My mate booked me into an intensive body pump class. So here's the deal. We got there 10 minutes late, and we walk up to this body, pl- uh, body pump class, all women, everywhere, women. I'm a young, single guy. Walk in. There's nowhere to go at the back, so I had to go right at the front. <laughs> hadn't been to the gym in ages. And so what you do is you start pumping just the bar. And they make it, it's continuous. If anyone's done body pump here before, you know it's, it's relentless. And so you're doing it. And then what they say, and I'm, like, after about five minutes, I'm thinking, this is a little bit hard, you know. And then they say, right, let's add some weights. And they're like doing all this, you know, they're, doing, they're jumping and stuff. And these women are adding weights. And, I, and I'm sitting there, I said to my mate, I said, I can't add any weights. I'm not going to be able to cope with this. And like literally after another five minutes, I just dropped the bar and walked out. And all these women stared at me and I'm looking out. You can't lift the weights if you've got no muscle. (laughs) 
You can't do it if you haven't trained. We have to train in godliness. We have to keep devoting ourselves. We have to keep giving ourselves. But do you know what happens as we do? We build muscle. We build muscle. This stuff will start to manifest in our lives. It will start to come. But be devoted. Next thing. Matthew 1.18. Before the marriage took place, we're talking about Mary still. While she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary became pregnant. Lots of things happen when women become pregnant. One thing I've learned is it's good sometimes to not be around when women become pregnant. Has anyone else's experience? Amen, Dave. Thank you very much. I was waiting for that hand. But there's something that happens is you're aware that there is a life inside of you. I mean, I don't know. This is, don't think this is me telling you what I know. This is, this is what I've heard. There is an awareness that there is a life inside. Do you know that Mary walked every day with an awareness that she had Jesus in her? Amen. Every day. She had an awareness that Christ was in her. No matter what environment she was in, she knew Jesus Christ was on the inside of her. Where does Christ live? He's in the church. We'll come to that in a minute. But where does he live? In each one of you. Just as real in you by his spirit as he was physically in Mary. I'll tell you why. Look, she couldn't see him. She couldn't touch him. She couldn't hold him. But she knew he was there inside of her. The same way he is here in us. Are you aware that you take Jesus everywhere you go? I love what Phil said about turning aside, about loving Jesus, about just just talking to him, knowing that he's always with you. When I worked at the airport, I would always like run off to the toilets if I wanted to pray, if I felt like it was getting too much. And I remember once I went into the toilet, and that's like the best place to go, and I was just standing there in front of the mirror, no one else was in there, and I was just praying, and I was seeking, Lord, I just had a wonderful experience in the Holy Spirit. And I was like, oh, Jesus, I love you so much. Thank you so much that you're here with me. And then I went and I opened the door, and I, the moment I opened the door, I felt the Lord said to me, are you leaving me here? I tell you why, because in my mind, I compartmentalized. That's where I met Jesus. This is where I go to work. <laughs> so Jesus, you've got to stay there now because I need to come in here and get on with my job. That's what I did. Sabia, come here. We had a little announcement today. We're going to be seeing someone new in about six months. June? June next year? You've got a baby in you. That's wonderful. She's in church. She's got a baby in her, right? Can you do me a favor? Can you just walk out that door real quickly? (laughs) And do 20 (laughs) press-ups. I didn't make her run. She ran. She chose to run. Stand there. Have you still got the baby? Are you kidding me? You've left the church and you've still got the baby inside of you. You can come back in. 
it's simple, but do you see it? Do we come here and say, oh, Jesus, you're here. And the moment we walk out the door, we think, where have you gone? Where have you gone, Jesus? He is always with you. We need to be aware of his presence. You know, you don't need your prayers to reach heaven. Do you know where they need to get to? Not even above your nose. He's right here. You know, a friend of mine, Tom Alsop, you know him, he came and preached here. But he said once he was worshipping God and he was just putting his hands up in the air. He was just getting well into it. And his wife tugged him and said, I need you to go and change our, our daughter's nappy. And, she, and he was like, but can't you see I'm worshipping God? And he felt like the Holy Spirit sent him, what, what's worship to me? You, you putting your hands up, are you going to take care of your daughter? See, both were godly. It's godly to worship. It's godly to go and change a dirty nappy. I'll tell you why, because you can always have the awareness of Christ with you, no matter what you are doing. Amen. We have devotionals, right? And it's a funny word in light of this. If godliness is to be devoted, what we're saying if we have devotionals is I'm going to be devoted just for a little bit. And that's all devotion I can give you. But what happens when you can't have devotionals? What happens when you can't have quiet times? What happens when life just chucks a ton of stuff on you and you're not able to take that time out? Do you beat yourself up and think, like, oh man, I've not been able to have my quiet time, I've not been able to have my devotionals? Or do you walk with an awareness, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, Jesus Christ is with me. Never changes. No matter what you do, Jesus Christ is in you and with you and you can live aware of him. One more thing and they're coming to close with this. The final thing is that there is fellowship with other Christians. That message that came last week about us being Christ, I mean, it was just mind-blowing, right? But we are to have fellowship with one another. Luke 1, 41 and 42. Luke 1, 41 and 42. It says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Someone came with Christ in her. And there was someone else who was a believer, filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden you get this moment, it's like, Boom! Glory! There was singing. If you carry on down the passage, they're singing, they're rejoicing. There is this fellowship that takes place where you are in a relationship with other Christians who have Christ in them. Do you know that that is living a godly life? Do you have those relationships? Do you talk about Jesus? And as you're talking, your, your countenance changes. You're just talking about how wonderful he is, how lovely he is, all that he's done. And as he does, you kind of, you can't help but hold it in. Spiritual songs, spiritual psalms, just building one another up because of you love Jesus and you're just sharing how wonderful he is. They talked about, Jesus talked to those disciples on the road to Emmaus and it says, their hearts burn within them. I can imagine they were like, whoa, this is all about Christ. This is all Christ. You know, we can have fellowship together, and, and it's good if we have fun. It's good if we hang out and just do stuff together. But the only reason we're all here together is because of Christ. We're not a social club. We're here for the living God. And Christ has got to be at the middle and the center of all of our relationships. I went to Turkey with Luke 
and we was driving and we were in this car. Me and Luke, we were in our 20s and there were two 70-year-old Korean ladies in the back of the car. What a picture. We're driving through Turkey, you know, there was no one else around. We're driving in this car. We, we couldn't understand them. They couldn't understand us. But I tell you what we were doing, we were just worshipping God. And inside you, you're thinking, yes, there is fellowship here because it was still Christ-centred. That's living a godly life. That's being devoted to God. Do you know those kinds of relationships? Living Christ and loving Christ through one another. You know, to be godly is to be full of God, is giving ourselves to him, to love him, to fellowship with him, fellowship through other Christians with him. I want to tell you why we should devote ourselves to him. Let me tell you who he is. The one who is the visible image of the invisible God. The one in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. The one who is the living residence of the Trinity. The one in whom eternity lives, breathes, and has its being. The one who is before me, the A to Z, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the firstborn of the created universe who rose from the dead, never to die again. The conqueror of death, sin and the grave. The creator, saviour, redeemer and forgiver. The one who holds all creation together in himself. The one who is the power of glory and might. The head, authority and source of the church. The one through whom and for whom all things were created. The one in whom, in whom all things find their meaning and reality. The one who reconciled all things in heaven and earth to God. The one who nailed to his bloody cross every law, every rule and every regulation that would condemn the beloved people of God. The one who is supreme in every realm and holds the first place in all things. The son of the father's love. The one whose significance is unmatched in human history. The one who holds the title deed to the universe. This glorious, limitless, amazing, incredible, expansive, incomparable, marvellous, stunning, staggering, majestic, mighty, matchless, spectacular, outstanding, tremendous, immense, infinite, vast, grand, triumphant, victorious, precious, radiant, peerless, wonderful, magnificent Christ lives in us. That's who we're devoting ourselves to. You see why it's worth doing it? We don't live for the fruit of godliness. Don't do that. Live for him. Give yourselves to him. Love him. Love him in us. Love him through your brothers and sisters. And we do that. And you know what, guys? We're going to be living godly lives. God bless you all.